You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my friend, Arthur Parkinson. This week, we thought we would talk about pelargoniums. Large, small, scented, not scented, houseplant varieties, garden varieties, etc. Because as autumn progresses, they really come into their own and they're just unbelievably invaluable cheer and perfume for this time of year. The other reason that I like the idea of chatting to Arthur about them is, to be honest, he's quite a recent convert. He'll tell you why he was put off them, but I think it was having to pick over too many of them at queue. <laughs> but this year, I know, in his garden, he has actually got loads as pot plants on an outside eating table, which have to get shifted off so they can make room for a plate. Mm. So, Arthur, over to you on on why you've finally been convinced that pelargoniums are, are worth their time. Well, I've not quite been convinced. Um, okay. I think, to be fair on them, it's been probably the worst summer for English pelargoniums because it's been so cold and windy. I can count on my hand the number of lovely summer Spanish Mediterranean warm days we've had mm. in, in our garden. And, you know, I've looked outside on a day like today when it's grey and windy and the poor things are just shaking in the wind. Yeah. You know, they haven't flowered particularly wonderfully, but I do like some of them and they have grown on me because I've ordered off eBay, actually, the lovely old shanky, is it shanky or swanky pots? Those old terracotta pots. Oh, really I old. know. Yes, yes, um, yes. That were made up in your yeah, part of the yeah, world. Yeah, so it's really nice. I, I look at these pots and they've got Bullwell on them or Nottingham. And yeah. Bullwell is literally the town next door to where I grew up. So it's quite nice to have them in, yeah. these, in these lovely old terracottas. Some have done much better than others. One that I really, really have loved is um, one that I first saw here. It's got a tiny little spider-like flower. It's called Sidoloides. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Sidoides. Uh, Sidoides. Yeah, Sounds exactly. like a Greek Greek god or something. Yeah. And it's it's that's done really well and flowered almost all summer. So that is staying and going to have pride of place on the windowsill because I'm going to have to do an p- identity parade when it comes to winter because they can't all stay. We've got too many. So um, some are going to have to go and some are going to have to stay because obviously they've all got to come in for the yeah. winter. Yeah. Um, well, full enough, Sidoides, let's just dwell with that for a minute because we actually here find it's hardy oh. and we just left it in one winter about 20 years ago and I couldn't believe it. In the spring, up it came and I love it because it's got those very elegant truly silver leaves, which remind me of Spanish dancers' dresses. Yes. They're sort of all ruched and and kind of like they've got tons and tons of net underneath them in that sort of rather mm. lovely crinkly shape. And, uh, oh, they're a wonderful thing. It's a species, Pelargonium sedoides, with these black velvet, crimson black velvet flowers and quite delicate. So they're lovely for a pot because they do get a bit lost in a border, of course, and they will get smothered and they don't like that. So they're best in a container, but uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really good one to start with. And of course, it's a species, I think, from South Africa where a lot of these originated from. And it's an absolute total beauty. I I totally agree. Mm. I think my, if I was only allowed one in my life, uh, Sidoides would be a real contender, but I think it would be pipped at the post 
by Attar of Roses. And Attar of Roses is the one that's used very widely, the essence of, in the perfume industry. It's called a rose-scented pelagonium. And it, it literally has that very wonderful rose mixed with blackcurrant, mixed with a bit of lemon fragrance. And it's, it's just, it's what they use often to flavor Turkish delight. And it's used, I think, by florists in their bath oil. And as I say, widely used in the perfume industry. We use it here a lot to make a cordial. And actually in our last episode, um, I think it was the last where we were, I finished with talking about rhubarb and we make a rhubarb cordial here with star anise. And actually we make a, a attar of roses cordial in exactly the same way with lemon. And so we just, we collect as much of the attar of roses foliage as we can possibly spare and boil it up for 10 minutes with big chunks of lemon zest. And then we leave it dripping overnight in a jelly bag. And then we make a syrup out of the juice that comes out. And it's this most subtle and utterly, utterly delicious flavour, which actually Elizabeth David wrote about a lot. And she used a variety called Mabel Grey, which has a similar, really subtle, unusual, really kind of, oh, you can't put your finger on it. But it's it's, it's not umami, which is a fashionable flavour because it's a sweet flavour, but it's just delicious. So attar of roses would have to be mine. And of course, it's got a marvellous vase life. If you sear the stem ends in boiling water for 10 seconds, it lasts two to three weeks in a vase. So that would be another one that I would add to Sedoides. Is it true you can use the leaves to line a Victoria sponge tin? Yes, absolutely true. And you get that flavour through mm. and you can use it to flavour sugar. So you can make meringues with it. So you just get a fine cast of sugar or whatever you're going to use for your meringues or your baking. And you just layer the sugar with leaves with the stems cut off and leave it for two weeks. And and the flavor will infuse through that sugar and you get this delicious, delicious flavor. And sometimes we do that with an ice cream as well, with just a really plain tasting vanilla ice cream. And we use the sugar from the um, Attar of Roses Pelagonium to give it that extra sort of like, hmm, what's that? I wonder what that taste is. It's quite fun to have games with people about that. Yeah, because I don't find, I've tried to do tea with it. I must be doing it wrong because I find the tea quite tasteless. Oh, you've got to use quite a lot, more Uh, than you think. So it's not just one leaf. I mean, in a tisania, you know, those glass teapots, I would probably chop up, coarsely chop up five or six leaves at least. Yeah, I've done that. It smells nice, but it's compared to lemon verbena, there's Uh, not that flavour. It's not not as intense as lemon verbena. It's very subtle, but the smell is beautiful. I totally agree with you with the smell. And it's done, it's not flowering like yours is the ones I've got at home, but it's it's been fantastic for these low round galvanised planters that I've got. Mm. And it's spilled out over the edge and it really, for a foliage plant and the smell, and everyone loves the smell of the leaves, it doesn't matter, it's not flowered. It's been well worth having. So what I'll be doing with those, because I want these big planters of bulbs, is these will have to be, it's a trick. I think I've seen Josie do it here. They're taken out, pruned back very lightly. And yeah. then also the root ball that's gone massive over the summer is also pruned back quite lightly. Yeah. And they don't seem to mind that, do they? Yeah, no, um, no. So they can go back into manageable pots that can either go in the greenhouse or the windowsill but i think here do you leave them to overwinter but you don't cut them back do you yeah Yeah. i was i was going to come on to that because i think that's the main discovery well i mean i hope we might think a few more as we're chatting but yeah i've really really learned that here and 
funnily enough, it was having seen them on the most wonderful wildflower trip two Septembers, three Septembers ago, of course, because of COVID, it was three Septembers ago, and to South Africa. And it was, I cannot more passionately recommend a September trip to South Africa if you if you want to do the most wonderful thing before you die, um, because that is, of course, their spring. And it's just it's spring into summer. It's just when things are really, really coming into flower. And I just saw wonderful, wonderful pelagoniums there. But I was seeing them in really harsh environments. And, you know, where not only are they dry, of course, but also really, really can be bitterly cold in the winter months, which preceded it. So when we're in summer, they're in winter, da, 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 as we know. And that struck me how hardy they were. Yes, dry, but but really tough. So what we did is we just tried leaving our plants here in the borders, at the front of the borders, like in the herb garden, and we didn't cut them back at all. And that's what I saw in nature is that they had all their dyed back tops left on and then up they come in the spring. And so we did that here. So we don't chop them back or tidy them one single bit. So they get frosted. They all go brown. They look pretty manky. They don't look good. But you then tidy them in April when you're sure your last hard frost is finished and you'll see all these beautiful bright green leaves emerging. So the root ball is still healthy as anything. And of course, they get bigger and better every year. But that does lead me on to one other discovery that we've made here is what we find is that those second or third or fourth year plants are not as flowery uh. as the first year ones. So we tend to then do cuttings from that mother plant and nurture that cutting. And that tends to flower more than her mum, if you see what I mean. Oh. So it is interesting that um, you get wonderful foliage. So if you want foliage for the cutting garden, and they are, they make wonderful fragrant foliage, then leave them in and you'll get really big, chunky plants covered in leaf, but you won't get so much flower. If you want flower, take cuttings, put them in pots and don't give them any competition. And that's how you'll get the floweriest varieties. Mine are too bloody old then. <laughs> well, take some more cuttings. No, but this year, like dahlias, they're bizarre because yeah, it's yours just, have got flower. I've well, not had one flower. They're not. They're not like normal. No. Not like normal. I mean, now they will. That that's the thing. They'll be starting to flower, and then we might get a frost, mm. and then they'll get cut back. But you know, we're not going to get frost yet. But uh, yeah, they are because again, if you think about it, South Africa. So it's now they're going from spring into early summer. So it's mid, they're a midsummer flower. So they're not naturally going to flower prolifically until October, really. And so, you know, you just, it's always good to think about where they come from and then you understand a plant more. But there are, of course, exceptions. And my favorite early flowering variety, I picked one, which I've got here sitting in a vase in front of me, is a variety called Orset. And I find I can literally have Orset in a huge pot in the greenhouse in full flower from April and it's still in flower now. And so we're well into September or even October and um, and on it goes. And so for length of flowering and showiness, undoubtedly Orset has to be a number one for me. I mean, they're just beautiful, big uh, pink saucers with crimson, saucer flowers with, with crimson splotches on the two apical petals and um, really, really pretty. What's your favourite on the flowering front? Well, um, during the break between pandemics, I went to Chatsworth and um, it was to write about regal pelagoniums because they've got an amazing collection there. And um, Chatsworth has 175 rooms and pelagoniums because they're like the 
the plant of the English country house, aren't they? You know, every interior magazine yeah. they're in. But they obviously have to have a lot of pelargoniums. So their pelargoniums are treated almost on like a conveyor belt system where they go into the house one week and then have three weeks rest in like full heat and light. Uh. Um, so they have like one dozen about to go and the next dozen have come back for like a spa treatment. Uh-huh. Some of the rooms Brilliant. are quite dark. Yeah. But there was one that I saw, it was a regal, it was called Black Prince. Yeah, yeah. And it was the most ruffled like Dracula chocolate dark not red it was more burgundy really brown um and i love that one uh similar to lord brute yes. which which everyone most people will know yeah. of which is very proliferous and deserves to be in like everyone's top five pellets i think it's probably one of the oldest ones um whenever it's in flower here i always put it on the table when we're displaying yeah. um, pots and things because it just looks so beautiful but yeah the the regals tend to be the more flowery ones aren't yeah, they definitely yeah then another cracking value one is called Shrubland Rose. And to be honest, it's not absolutely my favourite colour. It's a very, very bright, sort of slightly scarlety pink, you know, with a little bit of salmon. So it doesn't make it sound very nice. But I remember being bowled over by it when Josie put it on the table in the middle of the perennial cutting garden, which I can see from when I'm uh, sitting at our kitchen table all the way down through the farmhouse garden, through the cutting garden to this big table in the middle of the annual, the perennial cutting garden. And we have a big copper there and she'd planted um, shrubland rose and it came out as some bedding had faded in August and it was still looking exactly the same in November. And according to Josie, she really hadn't had to water it or feed it hugely, but it just pumped out these amazing flowers. And it's got very, very bright, uh, sort of a golden delicious green foliage, quite crinkly. And then um, these stunning flowers. And it just keeps on performing without much TLC. So we've done lots of pot collections and trials with it this year, mixing it with other things, because we just know that it's unbelievably reliable without having to look after it too much. So that would have to be another must for me, uh, just in terms of really hardworking mm. use. Yeah, it's flowered for, for us this year. And Has it's, it? Yeah, we've got it in a big pot on our doorstep, the inside doorstep. Yeah. And it, it just looks gorgeous. And as you say, very good. But I remember we, we cut it, didn't we? And it lasted for ages in yeah. the vase. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so tall, you can cut it and that helps yeah. to make it bushy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it is a top performer. They're great cup flares. They really are just mm, conditional. Underestimated. People don't think to use them. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then what about houseplants? Have you got any that you particularly love? Well, all the ones I've mentioned are kind of like taken in when they're flowering yeah. and then they go back outside. I think I've got a thing about while it's summer, letting them breathe. Yeah. Um, I tend to find that helps to stop us getting aphid problems. And also I always take them out and water them outside and feed them because then it means the windowsills aren't at risk of yeah. being stained by seaweed feed or whatever. But what I'm confused by is is feeding and watering because I remember we went to someone and they'd got pelargoniums and they were literally dead. It was a Christmas party and they were like, oh, we've been told we can't water them at all. Mm. Whereas at home I was keeping mine going and they looked green and beautiful. Mm. But I remember whenever I used to come here to work for, you know, three or four days, I'd get back and they were like a bleached colour. So I was having to feed mine all through the winter and I'm not sure if that's normal. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what, what you think. Well, I, I mean, that makes sense. Again, if we think about where they come from, yeah. I mean, they would be an active growth all the way through mm. the winter. So I would think dry them out more as they're naturally going to their dormant season, yes. which would be our 
January, February, March, sort mm. of, and let them have a period of dormancy then before you start feeding them and get them going again in the spring. But, you know, there are a few exceptions to that, like Orset, which I mentioned, which seems to naturally just flower early. I definitely want to finish my list anyway with one final variety, which is called Pelagonium tormentosum. And it's another species. And I just completely adore this on many levels. One, it has a distinctly sort of pepperminty scent, which I'm just crushing a leaf now. That's what you need to do, just gently between your finger and thumb. And you just squeeze it gently. And this whole area that I'm sitting in here now just smells utterly delicious, a mix of sort of polos with rose geranium. And that sort of freshness is so fabulous. And I use that scent sometimes. I tie a bundle of these together like six or seven leaves and put them under the hot tap or even pour a kettle of boiling water into my bath over them. And then the whole bathroom, I don't need posh bath essence. The whole bathroom has got this most delicious fragrance of sort of fresh minty rose geranium. And I I just love it for that, for the perfume, but also its look. And it's it's like the purest silk velvet, sort of woolly textured leaves and you want a dress made out of it. You know, it's just literally, I would love to commission some crazy designer to um, to make me a dress out of Pelagonian tormentosum leaves or lookalikes. And it's a fabulous pot plant for shade. And isn't that amazing? Because they're South African. You think, you know, surely it doesn't like shade. It likes baking heat, but not this one. This one will grow happily on the north face of the barn here. We have big animal troughs. And we just plant them with six or seven rooted cuttings of Pelagonium tormentosum. And they just look totally splendid all the way through the year. Evergreen, of course. And so they're brilliant also as houseplants. And there's nothing more glamorous than a big pot, a terracotta pot of this in a really prominent place in your house. Whenever you walk past it, you can squeeze the leaf and you'll get that delicious, delicious heady scent. And, you know, nothing nicer. Maybe, Arthur, if you haven't got any more varieties, you could just finish by teaching us all how to take cuttings. Yeah, I just want to say for that one you've just mentioned, I love it for its shape. It's yeah. a really good tumbler. Yeah. So if you want a houseplant on a shelf or on a pillar, you know, rather than something going up, it does tumble, doesn't it, very beautifully yeah. and, and holds its own. It's not flip floppy. So, yeah, I, I like that one too. It doesn't have much flower worth no. interrupting to say. Flowers are like little, little sort of, white butterflies, mm. um, quite insignificant. Yeah, you're really growing it for it. For but its, it's a lovely jungle, jungle yeah. looker, I'd, I'd call it. Yeah. 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 So cuttings, they really are plants for free. Once you've got a variety you like, you can keep keep them going. And as Sarah said, with the, the scented atto of roses, you really need to be propagating it every couple of years to, to get the vitality you need of a young plant. So at this time of year, it's an ideal time because there's normally lots of growth on varieties. You want to pick a bit of growth that ideally hasn't got a flower, um, but if it has got a flower, you always cut that off. So imagine you're going into a nice healthy plant with lots of choice. You just take it off, ideally under a pair of leaves, because that means you're cutting where what we call the node is. And that means there's a bit of hormone there, which should help with rooting. And then you'd strip those leaves off and also if above it there's another good pair of healthy leaves and above it there's the growth tip with a pair of leaves you take 
the leaves off. So you're just left ideally with the tip of the, the bit you've taken off and the nice healthy leaf. So you're basically wanting an area of He's doing stem. this. He's doing this as, as, <laughs> as, long as, as a he's pencil. talking about it. <laughs> so you want a pencil sized bit that you've removed the leaves off. You've got two nodes, which were where two pair of leaves were, one under and one above. And then you're just left with the tip and one leaf left. What you must do is where the tip is, you'll find the actual growth point and you just pinch it out like you would a sweet pea seedling or any seedling that you wanted to pinch out. And what that's done is it's taken away the growing bit of that cutting. So the cutting now can't think about growing upwards. It can only think about root development. And if the leaf left, the one leaf left is particularly big, you can cut that in half. And what that does is it reduces the surface area of moisture leaving that cutting. Because you have to remember, you've removed this plant from its water source. So it's got to support itself for long enough until it is able to grow roots. And I find that pelargonium cuttings, they can take anything between a month and three months, to be honest, to root. Mm. The and they vary am, yeah, according to variety. The amount of times I've got impatient and tipped to pot out of perfectly healthy looking cuttings, not a single one has rooted. They can really take their time. So you have to be patient with them. As long as the, the foliage left on looks healthy, that's the main signal. Water them very cautiously. If you overwater them, they will just go yellow and rot. Mm. And you want to pick over any leaf material that dies because mm. that will cause fungus and that won't be good. So you've got your cutting bit and you're going to plunge that into the side of a filled, nice terracotta pot. doesn't have to be a huge one, but do it around the side so that they're warmer. And also as the roots form, they're broken by the side of the pot. So that encourages a nice root form to develop. And the best signal of the rooting is top growth. So you should see little shoots coming. Mm. But as I've said, you will have to be patient for that. And you can do about a dozen cuttings of your favourite variety, ideally, in the same little terracotta pot. Mm. And yeah, that will keep you in pelagonium vitality for years and years. Fabulous, Arthur. Perfect explanation. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And next week, we're going to be talking about wildflower lawns wildflower meadows whether you should use just our own natives whether you can import something from another country for a longer flowering season all those things and of course the classic plant that really helps out with lots of wildflowers which is yellow rattle You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.